one, Genesis one. Um, there, I, I need to do a lot of setup before we actually get into the text of Genesis one. Uh, and so, let me do some setup. We'll get especially to the first couple verses, uh, and then we'll stay in the first couple verses for a little bit. And then we'll get into the rest of the chapter. I don't know how much I'm going to get through tonight. I may have to finish up with chapter 1 next week as well. Uh, And if we keep up like this, next week we might be in the worship center. That might be a little bit more comfortable. Um, So, uh, but let me just say this. Uh, I want to talk, I want to help you understand. If you have a pen to write something down, it might be helpful to write this down. There's a difference between general revelation and special revelation. Okay? General revelation... Is the way God reveals himself in, in nature. Psalm 19, 1 through 4, say the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. It's general revelation. It's the same thing uh, that we see in Romans 1. It says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And so the idea of general revelation is that the, the, the fact that there is a creator God can be clearly seen in nature. When you, when you see the, the, the complexity of it, the design of it, the detail of it, um, Scripture says that that's the revelation of God. And so that men are without excuse. You know there's a God. There's, you know there's a creator. There's a design. And if there's a design, there has to be a designer. But there's also special revelation. And special revelation is when God intervenes in human history in miraculous ways or when he just speaks his word, his voice. And Genesis is unique because we have both. Genesis gives us both general revelation and special revelation. And we'll see that as we go through this book. In chapter 1, our goal is to read it. And to feed on it, we're not going to go over every detail and every verse that's in it. And we're not going to do that for the entire book of Genesis. There's, there's too much in this setting to go through every detail in every verse and every chapter. Not only is there too much, I'm not smart enough to do that. And so we're going to read it. We're going to feed on it. We'll learn. Uh, but it is grand in scope and in depth. Uh, There's one subject in all the Bible. The only subject that the Bible is concerned about is the Messiah. And that's the theme through all of Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation. The Messiah, the coming one. There are two events that are paramount in Scripture. Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. So everything builds up to the first coming of 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 the Messiah in Jesus. And then everything looks forward to the second coming of Jesus of the Messiah, which is Jesus' return. <clears throat> the first event, he died on the cross, 
and cleansed of sin. The second event, when he comes back, he will rule with those who have been cleansed. Okay, so those are the two events that all the Bible is about. The two, se- the, the, the two sections in the Bible, you know this. There's two sections in the Bible. How is it divided? Old Testament, New Testament. Um, First Testament, Second Testament. There are five parts within those two sections. The Old Testament is all about preparation, preparing for the Messiah. The Gospel is all about manifestation. When the Messiah was manifested to humanity in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Acts is about propagation how the kingdom started to propagate around the world. The epistles is all about information. What does it mean now that the Messiah has come? What does it mean now to be a disciple and to follow him? What is his church about? And then Revelation is all about the consummation of all things in his second coming. So two parts of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, five parts of that, preparation, manifestation, propagation, information, and consummation. That's, that's how the whole Bible's Broken up. You follow me so far? Mm-hmm. Lots of information, yeah? Okay. Uh, the better you understand, you will better understand the New Testament if you first understand the book of Genesis. And here's why Genesis is the most often quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Over 200 times, the New Testament quotes the book of Genesis. Okay, so so in order to understand the New Testament, which most of our focus is on, Jesus, him crucified, resurrection, church, all that stuff. To understand that best, or better, we need to better understand the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is a book of origins. We see in it the origin of the universe. The origin of humanity, the origin of sin, the origin of the fall of man, the origin of marriage, the origin of government, the origin of the nation of Israel. It's a book of origins. It covers at least, depending on how you understand it, at least 2,500 years of history from creation to the death of Joseph depending on how you understand the creation story. So, um, as we get into Genesis, and we're going to look at Genesis 1, 2, Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, here's the danger in, in, in starting to look at the book of Genesis, verses 1 and 2. It's very, we have to be very careful that we don't say more than what the Bible clearly says. Okay? That's a great interpretive strategy for every book in the Bible, every book, don't say more than what it says. Where the Bible's silent, be silent. Where it says something, say what it says and no more. And so I just want to say up front, I don't want to say more than what the Bible says. But I do want to say what the Bible says. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. This is the way my Bible reads it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning. 
told the, we're going through the book of Genesis with the junior high and high school group as well. Then I told him, I said, you know, God's a baseball fan, right? What do you mean he's a baseball fan? I said, in the big inning. <laughs> it's really stupid. I, I don't know why. I heard my pastor that when I was a little boy, and I thought, that's the problem with pastors. They think they're funny, and they're, that's just stupid. And here I am. <laughs> in the beginning. When was the beginning? There is no beginning. It says there's a beginning. The beginning when was in the beginning? Oh, when he created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When was the beginning? When was that? In the beginning. In the, he created. Yeah, yeah. You can't say a circle's round and round is a circle. I mean, like most, most. I realize we might be varied in this room. Maybe I should say many, many evangelical Christians uh, have grown up with a young Earth idea that the earth is about 6,000 years old or so. That take the, 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 the seven days of creation as literal 24-hour days. And the genealogy from Adam to Joseph is about 2,500 years. Up to current date, we, 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 we're looking at about 6,000 years. That, that's how some people understand the first part of Genesis. Others would assert that it's an old earth and the beginning at its beginning is 2 billion, 5 billion, 10 billion years old. The thing I find interesting is each of those camps are very committed to their view and usually get really dogmatic about it. Right? Do you want to know what I think? I don't want to say what the Bible doesn't say. And so I go to Job 38, 2, 3, and 4. This is God speaking. And God says, Who is it that obscures, observes my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, God says, and I'll question you. And you are going to answer me. Were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. So God addresses this very issue. He says, none of you were there when I did this. None of you know how I did it. How about rather than you question me about what I did, how about I question you about what, can you answer me? No, because you weren't there. That's pretty much what God says. And the difficulty we run into with experts who assert dogmatically it is a young earth or dogmatically it is an old earth, none of those experts were there. Only God. And some really enjoy speculating about it. And I got to tell you, chasing down those rabbit trails is fun sometimes. But I want to start and end with, in the beginning, God. The point of the Bible is not to detail when the beginning was. The point of Scripture is to detail from who it came. In the beginning, God. And, and this is really, really, really important for us to understand. I'm going to get to it in just a minute. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we try to eliminate God from the equation, we have real problems. And again, this is just setting up... Genesis. 
and the creation of God and God as the creator. The universe, the earth, nature, we all understand that, consists of matter. Where did matter come from? Some say, well, it started with gases. Where did gases come from? Like you, you, you cannot have an infinite regression. Logically, in order for something to exist, there has to be a cause for that to exist. You can't have an infinite regression. If there is a cause, there has to be a first cause. It's real simple in, in, in science. We see things are in motion. If things are in motion in nature, there has to be a first mover. And, and, and so you, you, can't, you have real problems when anybody talks about nature without starting at God. There, there cannot be an infinite regression. It has to start. Something has to start somewhere. And most people's reason why they don't want to admit that that first mover is God is it because uh, is because now now it means that there is a moral agent, and Romans one tells us all about that. And if we live in a world that was created by a first mover, a first cause, and that first cause is a moral agent, that means that we are then morally accountable. And so and so, <clears throat> we have to be careful that we believe the words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are three bridges that evolution cannot cross. The bridge from nothing to something, the bridge from something to life, and the bridge from life to consciousness. It has no answer for that, from nothing to something. Where did, how do you get something from nothing? Evolution has no answer for that whatsoever. Well, let's say you have something, gases. How do you get from gases to life? Let's well, say so you have bacteria. How to get from life of the bacteria, the life of bacteria, in, in to, to consciousness? And, and so, and so, th- these first two verses are really, really, really important. And since the doorway to the Bible is Genesis one one, the only way to get to the rest of the Bible is through Genesis one one. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Genesis one one is key for every other difficulty that you will find in the Bible and that you will come up to in your life. Just as one was the key for every other difficulty. And here's why. If in the beginning, nothing. If in the beginning, God created. Everything else after that's easy. Just let this sink in. If the only thing that existed was God... And out of nothing, he created something. Anything else is pretty simple for him to do. Jonah and the, and, and the fish, no problem. The axe head floating with Elisha, no problem. Raising Lazarus from the dead, no problem. Walking on water, no problem. His own resurrection of Jesus, no problem. If you believe in the beginning God created everything else, no problem. Your life, no problem. Your eternity, no problem. The moment we understand that in the beginning God created, it makes me say, okay, then, great. Kaitis, <coughs> no problem. No job, no problem. 
Marriage that has fallen apart with God, no problem. Right? Right? So it's real important that we start in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything else, no problem. Herbert Spencer, who was a, a scientist uh, in the 1800s, categorized the known world into five areas. Time, force, action, space, and matter. And all he did is what is reinforce what we already knew from Genesis 1. In the beginning, time. God, force. Created, action. Heavens, space. Earth, matter. Took man 1,800 years, the current history, to affirm what God had already said in Genesis 1.1. And every time... Science discovers what the Bible's already said. Science thinks they're brilliant. <laughs> Time, force, action, space, matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you want to talk about this creation, which I think we need to, uh, we know that the earth is incredibly precise. Right? This, the universe, the, this earth, incredibly precise. And I don't, have any of you taken a kind of a deep dive into, in, in, into creation and science and all that stuff to see how they, how they fit together? And any, any of you? A little bit. A little bit. Even the tilt of the earth. Yeah. Do you know what the tilt is? I don't. But you know it's important. Oh, yeah. 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 I know Jim has. Um, he, Jim actually sent me a book today said, hey, this is probably too late for tonight, but here's the, you know, maybe for later. And I'm like, Jim, you love studying all the depth of this stuff. I, I don't like studying it that much. I just know in the beginning God created. Um, but when you look at the tilt of the earth, when you look at the rotation, we look at the molecules, look at gases, incredibly precise. We're sitting in the room with a, spinal, a retired spinal surgeon. And Thomas, I think you can speak better than any of us to the precision the, the nature of precision in the human body. Much more than any of us can. The human body's pretty resilient, but pretty precise. It appears is that the entire creation has been made with human life in mind. It's called the anthropomorphic principle. It appears as though everything that's created has been created with specifically human life in mind. And again, science, uh, scientists get so excited when they discover the precision of nature. We've known it all along. Hebrews 11.3, get this. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Watch this. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What it's saying is, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, matter is made of subatomic particles, invisible things. The writers of Hebrew said in the Bible, we can see that what's been made has been made out of invisible stuff. Well, yeah, we, we call it subatomic particles. The Bible said it all along. I, I would say that the person of faith is further along than the person of science every time. 
Now, the key, the best key is to combine both, faith and science. And I think they are very compatible. The only thing science does is it proves in empirical ways what God has already said that we believe by faith. But I think they are very, very, very compatible. You don't have to choose one over the other, ever. Now, here's the problem. One of our problems. There's only 630 words that God used to describe the origin of everything. Just let that sink in. There's only 630 words that God used to describe the origin of everything. He just didn't spend a lot of time on it. Because that's not the point of Scripture. Far more time and space is spent on his people and on the Messiah, Jesus. We have to remember as we go through Genesis and the creation account that the Bible is not a biological book. The agenda is about the origin of the Hebrew nation from which will come the Messiah. And the agenda is not biology. Okay? And so I, I want to say what the Bible says. I don't want to get too dogmatic with things the Bible doesn't say, but we do have to have a working knowledge of the uniqueness of this creation. Most people, maybe not in this room, but most people believe that the theory of evolution is such a done deal that you can't really debate it or argue about it. And I would say probably most people in this room, if they don't believe that the theory of evolution is such a done deal, you can't argue about it. You don't want to argue about it because we don't know enough to argue about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me tell you the fact. Evolution is not fact. Uh, A whole bunch of brilliant scientists and minds, and I could give you a list of them, although none of us would know who they are, would admit that it's only a theory with a whole bunch of difficulties and no actual factual support. Darwin himself, his words, says the problem with the evolutionary theory is there's no fossil record. He said it himself. Darwin knew that paleontology would not agree with his theory But he said, time will vindicate and validate this theory. Well, guess what? It's been 120 plus years since Darwin. The fossil, we have so much more fossil record now than ever before. Over 250,000 fossil species. And the fossil record for proving evolution has not gotten any better. Matter of fact, we have fewer examples of any type of evolutionary transition than we had in fewer now than we had in Darwin's time. So it's not gotten better, it's gotten worse. So I just want to put it in perspective. In the beginning, God created. If you take God out of the equation, it all falls apart. Just think about it like this. Billions and billions and billions of years ago, there were these gases that were swirling around and somehow a great explosion occurred and one little tiny particle of rubber was formed. Okay? And billions and millions of more years go by. And some cataclysmic changes occur. And there was a part of a tread that appeared on that little piece of rubber. Uh, and through 
more millions and millions and millions of years and cataclysmic changes, it became more complex. And as the years ticked by and eons trickled by, there were four big round rubber tires that formed in great complexity. And somehow, given millions of years and additional changes and turnings of substances, metal and plastics appeared, and out of the earth came a Mercedes Benz. It's ridiculous, right? Um, and yet it pales in comparison to the complexity of a human life. Pales in comparison. Uh, there's a thing called the teleological argument. And the teleological argument says that everything that is designed has a designer. That's the teleological argument. All one has to do is look at any grand or microscopic element in nature and you will see that it has design. And if it has design, there has to be a designer. It seems ridiculous to think a car could come apart uh, about like that. What about the human brain? Thomas, how much don't we know about the human brain? Probably 99%. It's far more complex than a car. Now watch this. Do you realize, do you realize, do you realize what you're able to live through if you really believe this? Can you fathom the stability of, that your life gains if you really believe this? That in the beginning, God, and if he be for you, who can be against you? In Acts 4, the disciples are arrested in Jerusalem, and the church gets together and prays. And the church asks God for incredible move and incredible courage. And this is how their prayer begins. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In essence, what they're saying, because you're so powerful to do that, anything that we ask from here on out is no problem. Do you understand? That's why this is so important. Can you imagine the stability? God, I know because you were able to do that. That the problem I'm bringing you with my thing, for you, no problem. And I know you have so much wisdom. If you choose to do something that's not the way I want it done, no problem. If you believe this about God, this is what he, who he is, this is what he does, faith comes much easier. And if you have a personal relationship with this God, what do you have to fear? Life? Death? who will not only meet every earthly need in its season, also secure eternity and enable you to get to eternity in peace. Mm 
if you believe this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God created out of nothing. Tohu vabohu. That's the Hebrew words. Tohu vabohu. You thought I was making that up. (laughs) Out of nothing. What it means is that that which was there was uninhabitable. And there seems to be a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There seems to be a gap, and here's, here's, here's what I mean. The earth was, that's what it says, earth was formless and void. That word was is a Hebrew word, hayata, which literally means became. So look at how this reads. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth became formless and empty. So there seems to be a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And some of your Bibles, you might have a good Bible, and it actually has that as a footnote. Became. It became. It was something, and then it became formless, void, and empty. In Isaiah 45, 18, the Bible says, Isaiah says, that what is, which is created was not created in vain. It uses the same, the same Hebrew word for became. It wasn't, it, it wasn't created, it, it wasn't created to become in vain. And so what, what some would say, and I'm not willing to say this has to be what it is, but some would say that perhaps in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, verse 2, now the earth became fullness and empty. The gap there is where the fall of Satan happened. So when God creates what he creates, all the angels, Lucifer, the highest of creation, the Bible says that, that fall, where is it, Jeremiah 14, Ezekiel 28, that fall was so cataclysmic it, it was so profound that it affected not just Satan and a third of the angels, but the entire created order. See, I don't think we understand how monumental was that event. And, and some would say this gap theory idea that what happens between verses 1 and 2, now the earth became formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. That it became that because of this cataclysmic event of the fallen Satan that's recorded in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, my, you want to know what I what, what I think? You should already know. I told you Job thirty eight. I wasn't there. I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate on exactly what it was. Um, because I am too ignorant to be able to do that. Suffice it to say, verse 1 and 2 are very, very, very important. And it will change your perspective out of everything if you really believe it. You got it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so whatever happens in this week, as you go through this week, stop for a moment, 
Remind yourself, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What am I worried about? If he's my Savior, if he's with me, if he's my Lord and I'm his child, what, what, why, am I, why am I worried? <coughs> if, if, you ever, if you grew up with, a, with a, especially a dad, who was your hero, who you knew could handle anything, there wasn't a bully that could push him around, there was nothing that this world could throw at him that would make him flinch. I, I grew up with a dad like that. Uh, and and when I was with my dad, I was not scared of nothing. Because somehow my dad was going to take care of stuff. It's just what he, it's who he was. We go backpacking and bears come into our camp and take our food. It was a bearing camp. He's, he's probably 20 feet from us, staring us down. My dad was there. What did I care you know, it just go to sleep so soundly at night, not even thinking about if something would happen. Why? Because my dad was there. Now, I don't know if you had a dad like that. I, I hope you did. I, I did. And if I, if I felt that way about my dad, who was great in my life, but terribly flawed, imagine how like, we got God. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 is pretty important. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness uh, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, finally, let's get into it. Verse 3, 4, 5. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Are we playing music about creation? That's, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, God said, let the light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, this is what he actually said. Light be. That's how it reads in Hebrew. It was a command. Learn this lesson. God spoke and there is no discussion. Light be. To be light. Let there be, that phrase in Hebrew appears 10 times in this one chapter. We call it the Ten Commandments of Creation. Let there be, and there was. At the voice and command of God, things move. The light he called day. To Hebrew, we're called yom. There are three uses of that word yom. And this is where it gets difficult for some. And this is why there's discussion amongst some of how long this day, the first day was. I'm just going to tell you what the three uses are and how they're usually used. You can decide what you want to believe. The first use of yom is any portion of a 24-hour period where light is present. That's how it's used in Scripture. The second way it's used in Scripture is a period of time, whether it's days, months, years, or eons. For instance, the day of the Lord. That's not one day. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a eon. There's a, there's a, and so that's one of the ways it's used. The other is it's used as a literal 24-hour period of time. 
And so some will say that the earth isn't 6,000 years old because these weren't 24-hour literal days. They were eons because that's how that word is used in Scripture. There are some who say, no, no, it is a 24-hour literal period of time. The interesting thing is anytime you find it what's called a numerical adjective, like 24, um, it usually means a 24-hour time period. And so typically the way it's used in this context is that a day is a 24-hour time period. It makes it difficult to believe theistic evolution where a day means an eon, but it could. And that's why you could look at creation and say it's 10 billion years old because the day wasn't a 24-hour period. It was an eon. It's used that way in Scripture. Now, you may hear people say, that the way the word is first used in Scripture is the way it always should always be used in Scripture. I don't believe that. But that is an interpretive theory. So they say a 24-hour period. It's always used 24-hour periods in the, you know, um, to follow that. And so it's been... Jim, I'm sure you have your opinion about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say this. Because this verse... Because of this verse, the Hebrews count a day when they see the first stars at twilight um, until the next star at twilight. Which it's interesting to me that their day begins and ends in the evening with rest. Our day begins when we get up and the feet hit the ground and we start moving. In Hebrew, because of this verse, their day begins with rest and ends with rest. It's just something to think about. Um, and God said, let there be light. Now, if you notice, if you go to day four, that is when the sun and the moon and the stars are created. So how is there let there be light, but the sun and moon and stars are not created yet? We don't know. <laughs> the Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. And, and, and it also it talks about the Shekinah glory of God. Like he is light. He doesn't need the sun and the moon. It could be that God's glory filled the universe with his light as it will be in the new earth. Did you know in the new earth there will be no sun or moon? His glory will fill the earth. Or God could have created the sun and the moon and stars on day one. They just weren't visible till day four. Hidden under this canopy that wasn't revealed until day four. We don't know. And we don't have to know because that's not what the Bible's about. But the Bible says that God looked at that and he called them good. How do you understand the word good? What's, what does good mean? It works. What's that? It works? Fulfills its purpose? So that would be good in quality or perfect, right? The other uh, Hebrew translation for good is beautiful. So what did God pronounce it? He pronounced it beautiful. That's important. Because what else is he going to create that he's going to call beautiful? Humankind. You're beautiful. 
And that's the first day. He called it good, first day. Now, verses 6, 7, and 8. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under uh, the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Likely, this canopy, this is just guess, covered the whole earth to create this greenhouse effect. And so there was this worldwide uniform climate with no deserts and no ice caps that provided the earth a constant watering, um, prevented these huge winds and storms uh, that, 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 that blocked out the radiation that we experience now from the sun that shortens life. It was, it was likely this, this canopy was there. And that was the second day. Um, do you notice anything about the second day that's different from the first day? He didn't call it good. He didn't call it good. Oh. Second day is not called good. Just hold on to that for a minute. Genesis 9 and 10. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters uh, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So when the Bible uses the word seas there in this context, it means all bodies of water. So this is where it created all these bodies of water. It's weird. In the new earth, there'll be no seas. That's a bummer. That's a bummer. <laughs> um, who knows why? Perhaps it won't be a water-based planet. Perhaps it won't be dependent upon water. I don't know. It could be that our experience of seas is that it is the separation of people. We're separated by seas, and there'll be no separation of God's people at that time. We don't know. But God called it good, right? And then verse 11, And God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees, uh, trees uh, on the land that bear fruit with, with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant, uh, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with the seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So in, 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 in verse 9 and 10, these bodies of water, God says it's good. In verse 11, 12, and 13, all, these, all this created order is according to its kind. And what we see in that are these micro movement and changes. That's what according to its kind means. <clears throat> and this is where we, we can have the, the, the ongoing discussion about this evolutionary process. And here's something that's important to understand. There's no mutation, vertical mutation, from one kind to a higher kind. There is horizontal mutation from plant to the same type of plant. Do you understand what I'm saying? Horizontal mutation and vertical mutation are two very different things. And so this seeds, according to their kind, horizontal mutation... That's why I have all kinds of different trees and berries and, and why we can even make different kinds of berries. Horizontal mutation. So I have a bulldog and a pit bull and an American bulldog and an English bulldog. Horizontal mutations. Okay? 
That's why in the flood with the ark, it wasn't every single animal that has ever walked on the earth because of horizontal mutation. It didn't have to be. It had to be clean ones and, and, and unclean ones according to God's law. But nowhere anywhere do we see this type of macro evolution. We see micro mutation, but not macro evolution. And God saw that it was good. What's different about day three than day one and day two? Day one, God said it was good. Day two, it was no good. Day three, he pronounced it good twice. And this is why Orthodox Jews will get married on Tuesday. Because day one is Sunday, day two is Monday, day three is Tuesday. First day got one good, second day got no good, third day was doubly blessed. So just a little piece of info for you there, doubly blessed. So whatever you're going to do, on tu- do it on Tuesday. Tuesday is a good day. Now watch this. This is where it gets interesting. I want to spend a little bit of time in the five minutes we have left. Genesis 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Creation. We use it for our calendars. The first calendar was a lunar calendar. Now it's a solar calendar. This is the expanse we're talking about. Not just the heavens where the birds fly, not just the heavens where the clouds are, but the expanse of the universe. I want you to understand. How many of you know what the speed of light is? It's really fast. 186,000 miles per hour. It's the speed of light. Oh, sorry, per second, not per hour. 186,000 miles per second. Going, Going at the speed of light, For us to get from the earth to sail past the moon, we would do it in 1.5 seconds. Going at the speed of light, in four hours, we would sail past Pluto. Going at the speed of light, it would take us four years and four months to get to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. Just to the nearest star. We live in a thing called the what? The... Milky Way. You know how big the Milky Way is? 10,000 light years wide. 100,000 light years long. So it would take 100,000 years traveling at 186,000 miles per second to get from one end of the Milky Way to the other. And once we got to the end of the Milky Way, we would just barely be on the front porch. Because we're told that there are 100 billion galaxies beyond the Milky Way. Here's why this is important. Because out of all of that, 
God is interested in you and me. He created this earth for us. He created this earth to sit perfectly in balance within the middle of the, the portion of the Milky Way that we're in, specifically to sustain life. We are 93 million miles away from our sun. And the sun's temperature, surface temperature, is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If we were as close to the sun as Venus, our surface temperature would be 850 degrees Fahrenheit. If we were as far away as Mars is, our surface temperature would be in negative 200 degrees Fahrenheit. We're perfectly positioned within the expanse of all these billions of universes in this Milky Way, perfect distance away from the sun to do one thing, sustain life. The anthropomorphic principle. The earth is tilted. Here's your tilt. 23.3 degrees on its axis in relation to the sun. Perfect for seasonal life to sustain life. Any more or less, life would be unsustainable. The atmospheric elements that make up our atmosphere, oxygen to nitrogen balance, 79% to 20% with 1% just variant gases. You know what that does? That ratio makes breathing perfect. Any more or less, you either suffocate to death or there'd be a huge explosion. Perfectly sustaining life. Everything has been marvelously designed just right for us. And it was all created out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth for our sake. He wanted something that was perfectly designed for his creation. And if he can handle that, No problem. 20 through 23. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let them, uh, the birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with, uh, with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. I just think it's cute that God looked at the birds and God blessed them. Said they were good. We don't have time to get into a lot of this other stuff. I'm going to readdress it hopefully next week. Um, But let's, let's just finish this out. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their uh, kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals each according to their to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, and livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and uh, with seed in it, there will be yours for food. To all the beasts of and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Watch this. And God saw all that He had made, and it was what. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God looked at everything that He had done, and He didn't just say it was good. He said it is extraordinarily beautiful. Do you know that God cannot do anything that is not extraordinarily beautiful? That's just who he is. Uh, and if he t- took all of this created order, tohu vabohu, out of nothing, specifically designed for us, you are not going to walk into anything that is too much for him. You're not. And if he designed this whole thing just for us to have life, he's got to care about our life enough. It's not because he needed us. It's not because he was lonely. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit lived in perfect relationship with each other in this intimate dance with each other. He didn't need anybody. He was God in God's self was completely satisfied. He chose to create humans in his likeness. The only thing in all creation, in this whole expanse that is in his likeness. And if he chose to make us in his likeness and made everything to sustain us, guess what? He loves you and he cares about you. And there's nothing that you're going to walk into that's going to be a problem for him. And faith becomes so much easier and obedience becomes so beautiful when we acknowledge that, accept that, and live in that truth. There's a lot more we can talk about in Genesis 1 and we might dive into it a little bit more next week. But for now, I'm going to be done. Okay? As I usually do, any questions, cries, or shouts of outrage? found it interesting with my illegitimate Bible. <laughs> every time you said God said it was good, my Bible said God was pleased. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. The uniqueness of Richard. <laughs> anyway, Dennis, pray for us, will you? Sure. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word that is... Um, so simple, but also so precise that, Father, just speaks directly to our needs. Um, thank you for providing the needs uh, to us, Father. Thank you for providing a Savior to us, Father. Thank you. Um, I just pray that you just give us hearts that truly do believe, Father, that so that we live this out in an unstoppable way, Lord. 